So as you will have already recognised, we're coming to verse 20 of Galatians 2 especially, where Paul the Apostle under inspiration says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul has just previously spoken about being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Back in verse 14, he even rebuked the apostle Peter for his hypocrisy and he'd drawn away Barnabas from the truth. And Paul is straightforward with him about his deviation. So we all must be straightforward when we come to the gospel. What the gospel actually says and what the gospel demands of us each one. And today I want to be straightforward with you following in this line, especially from verse 20, as to what it really means to be a Christian. And there's no other Christian than the one who is revealed in verse 20. This is not just for the Apostle Paul. This is for all people who profess to be Christians. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's it, in a nutshell. You know, and you know that you know Christ. You know him living within you. That's the must. Jesus said in another place, in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That's the same word as this one. To know Christ within you, to have his spirit dwelling within you, is the Christian life. And in John chapter 1, we read about those who receive him, those who receive him into their lives, who are born not of blood, the gospel says there, not born by hereditary line or ancestry, nor of the will of the flesh, not born by human procreation, nor of the will of man, not by any church decree or even by our own choice in a sense. It's God who works in us. Not by any of those means are we born, but of God, the word says there. We're born of God. We're born by the Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So it's absolutely crucial that Christ lives within us if we're to be truly Christians. The preceding verses here four times speak about being justified. Justified not by the works of the law, but justified by faith in Christ. Now what does that mean? It means, actually, that in God's eyes, through faith in Christ, he regards you as being perfect. That sounds a big 
thing to take in, doesn't it? That God could think of you as being perfect. You say, well, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. We all know we're not perfect. We're all sinners. But by God's grace, through what Jesus did on the cross, we are justified. And that means God declares us as being perfect. And we have to be perfect to get into heaven. There's no sin in heaven. We can't take any sin to heaven. We won't get into heaven if there's one little sin sticking to us. We won't get there. Those gates of pearl mentioned in Revelation will be closed to us. Just one little sin can keep you out of heaven. So you and I have to be perfect. Heaven is a perfect place. And only people who are perfect can get in there. And we're not going to be perfect through what we do. If we could get to heaven by being perfect by what we do, there would have been no need for Christ to come. If there was another way, God would surely have chosen it. So perfection is the demand. And we can only be perfect through the justification that Christ wins for us when we believe in him and when he comes to live within us. Because the cross and the resurrection of Jesus occurred 2,000 years ago. And we're disconnected from that cross, aren't we? We can look back and say, yes, I believe. But the benefits of the cross have to be brought to you and I across those centuries and applied in our lives. And if the benefits are not brought across the centuries and applied in our lives, then Christ died in vain for us. And the only way those benefits can come to us is when the Spirit of God, who is the eternal Spirit, <clears throat> who was there at the cross, brings the benefits to your life and mine <clears throat> and applies them to our lives. When the Spirit of God enters our lives, the Spirit of Christ, he applies the blood of Christ, he applies the death of Christ and its benefits to us, and we are justified. God looks upon us as being perfect. So there has to be this two-way transaction. We look back and say, yes, I believe. <clears throat> God brings the benefits to us and applies them in our lives. And that's when we're born again, when the Spirit of God enters our lives. And then the benefits are ours. Without that double two-way transaction, there's no benefit to your life and mine. So the Christian life is not just a changed life, it's an exchanged life. Yes, our lives are changed when Christ enters us, but we're also experiencing an exchanged life. We give our lives to him, he gives his life to us, the exchanged life. And then the benefits of the cross are ours. <clears throat> and that's the straightforward gospel of Christ in a nutshell. <clears throat> and you know, and this is hard to say, it's hard for you to listen to, but if we don't know Christ in that way, then we're going to hell. And nobody spoke in the New Testament more about hell than Jesus himself. I think it's about 60 times he spoke about it in the Gospels. And it's a very, very serious thing, isn't it? There is a dividing line. <clears throat> it's heaven or hell. <clears throat> the the uh, Presbyterian minister in Hobart and his friend are in the, who are in the anti-discrimination courts at the moment 
have been taken to court because they've been on the street telling out the gospel. And, and the friend of the Presbyterian minister has got a shirt on, and on his shirt it says, heaven or hell. So he's discriminatory. So somebody's taking him to court for that. But they're telling out the true gospel. They really are. And we need to pray for those two brothers. How many famous people have died in these last two or three weeks? I've lost count. They're on the news every day, especially actors and actresses in America, especially people we know here in Victoria, that Labour politician just a week or so ago. She said she was going to take time out of Parliament to recover her health. The next day she was gone. Drew Morfitt, the famous sports commentator, just suddenly like that he was gone. Many have gone. And every time somebody like that goes, I just think to myself, Lord, please, I hope somehow he was believing in you. Because if he wasn't, the end is just too terrible even to talk about. But that's the way it is. That's the straightforward gospel that we must receive. I was led to the Lord um, 55 years ago when I was 20 by a man who was a missionary at Donovor in South India where Amy Carmichael had her mission. And Amy Carmichael is well known for many things in mission circles but one of the very dramatic things that she's known for is a dream that she had and I think she's written a whole chapter in a little book about it But she had this dream where there were these thousands of people, all like lemmings, heading for this cliff and going over and falling over. And the the vision was of people just going into hell. And the Christians were sitting over there on the side making daisy chains, all making daisy chains. Not one of them was trying to stop these people and to warn them which is a commission we have from the Lord, isn't it? To tell people as much as we can. Mr. Jenner in in Sydney, I don't know if you know about him, for 40 years he stood in George Street in Sydney and he promised the Lord when he was saved that he would try and speak to 10 people a day for the rest of his life. A promise he kept. And hundreds of people all over the world came to faith in Christ through that little man. He used to stand in a doorway. and When people went past, he'd put a little piece of literature out to them and he'd say, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Sometimes he would say, would you go to heaven or to hell? And he'd give them the, the literature. And all over the world, people were discovered who had come to the Lord through that little man. There are other stories of men like Arthur Stace and so on in Sydney. But these are salvation words. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
someone has truthfully said regarding the gospel, hell is full of wicked people, but also sincere religious people and church people who've led a good life but who have never been born again from God because it's absolutely essential. Jesus said you must be. It's a divine must. And if he said must, he meant it. You must have this new life within you if the benefits of the cross are going to be yours. But heaven is full of sinners and immoral and corrupt people who at some point repented of their lifestyle, believed in Christ and were born again and saved. That's the difference. I met a lady on a train once after I'd preached in Warrnambool. She got on at Colac and I started to tell her about the Lord. She was a very old lady and I thought, well, she's getting near to eternity. I better see if she's heard. So I started to tell her and she said, oh, you're, you're like my grandfather. He was an evangelist, she said. And I've got his diaries here and he was known as the missionary doctor, Dr. John, 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 what was his name now? I've forgotten his other name now. But he was a missionary doctor and everywhere he went all over Victoria, he went into the prisons and preached to the prisoners. And she had his diaries with her on the train. And she said, I'm just up to the stage where Dr. Singleton, his name was, had gone into the Melbourne jail and for two weeks, in the last two weeks of Ned Kelly's life, he'd been witnessing to Ned Kelly, showing him the gospel, teaching him gospel hymns and all sorts of things. And the last few nights before Ned died, he was lying on his bed, she said, singing, we will meet on that beautiful shore because he'd come to faith in Christ. Now you won't read that in the history books, but Dr. Singleton says in his diaries, I'm fully persuaded that Ned came to the Lord and believed in the Lord before he died, before he was hung. So he says in his diary, Dr. Singleton, if the blood of Christ can prevail for such a blood-stained character as Ned Kelly, what are the possibilities? Where, is, where are the ends where the gospel can't reach if it can save a man like that? Jesus said, you must be born again. And we have no other hope, have we, than him. If there was some other way, God would not have sent Jesus. We have to be perfect. There's no other way either, except that we're perfect. We can never be perfect by our own efforts, by our own church going, by our own involvement with the Christian faith, by Bible reading, by prayer. These things won't make us perfect. But Christ will if we trust in him. In the eyes of God, we're perfect, ready for heaven because of all he's done for us. And one little sin will keep us out. Please don't forget that. There's the dividing line between the two possibilities for eternity. And eternity is a mighty long time, isn't it? 
We can never come back. We get no second chances. We can't find out after we've died, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd repented, I wish I'd believed. Too late. It has to be now. It has to be now. Before we go. And for those who do believe, Jesus said these amazing words. He said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We won't experience death. It'll just be a momentary transfer into heaven with him. The sting is taken, it's gone, because Christ died on the cross and destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So here's the Christian life. It's no longer I who live. Our life is handed over to him. Everything we have and all we are is his. We don't live anymore for ourselves. But Christ lives in me. He lives in me. And isn't that an absolutely incredible thing to say? The God who made the universe by his mighty power by his word of power, he made it all, including us and our antecedents. He made all of us, everything around us we see. The same God lives in every believer. He lives in us. And that being the case, what sort of people ought we to be? Peter says that in his epistle, doesn't he? These things being so, what kind of people ought we to be in all holy conduct and godliness, he says, if the God who made the universe lives in us through Christ? We certainly should be amazing people the way we live. It's really something almost beyond belief, isn't it, that that should be so? Please, I won't go on anymore. I just want to say to you, please be sure. Please be sure. Don't leave any stone unturned, as we say, until you're really absolutely sure that you know him. And when you know him, you'll know that you know, won't you? It'll be a real experience. I came to the Lord, as I mentioned before, at the age of 20, after leading a pretty unruly sort of life until I was 20. But I was taken to a camp by two young men who were farmers in Stratford in Gippsland, where I, where I came from. And they'd seen my need and they'd witnessed to me and, and they took me to this camp. And I was the only non-Christian in a camp of 200 people. So I didn't have a hope, I know, when I got there. I felt like a fish out of water and uh, I sat right up the back in the corner when the meeting started. But after a couple of days of turmoil in my life, as I realised what it meant to be a Christian, one of the men there who was from the Donovor Mission in South India, he took me aside and he started to read the scriptures to me from 1 Corinthians. And all I can say is, as he read the Bible to me, And I sat and listened. It was like somebody was taking a scrubbing brush and soap 
and just washing me inside, washing clean, washing clean, washing clean. And I knew I was being changed as the Spirit of God began to work on me. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into my life and changed me. And from that day on, it's been my life surrendered to him, his life given to me, that exchanged life, which is the only Christian life, the salvation life. So if you are unsure, please make sure. Don't let this just go drifting along. Make sure. Above all else, make sure. Beyond any doubt whatsoever, as we're all getting very close to eternity now, getting ready to go. And God bless you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you that your word is living and abiding. And your word says that we are born again by the living and abiding word of God. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world, teaching us the way, and dying on that cross to bear our sins and to remove them from us as far as the east is from the west. Lord, take our lives, we pray. Let us live them, whether it be long or short now, before we go. Please, Lord, let us live them for you and be for your honour and glory in these very few moments in which we live in this world compared with eternity. Thank you again that you loved us so much that you gave yourself for us. And you lived again, (coughs) you were raised from the dead that we might have life eternal, life in this world and life forever. To you, Lord, be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.